Thank you for choosing to listen to the Emmaus Radio Ministry Podcast. Each of these messages were given by various faculty, staff, and friends of Emmaus Bible College. To view each series as a whole or for more information about similar Emmaus ministries, please visit concerninghim.com. Continuing our series on the book of Jonah, today we're looking at Jonah 1, verses 15 through 17. We've already seen Jonah fleeing from the presence of the Lord, away from the call to go to the city of Nineveh, out on a Phoenician ship somewhere in the Mediterranean, and God hurls the storm after him to pursue him. The sailors have awoken him. They have found out by the casting of lots that it is on account of Jonah that this great calamity has come upon them. And they ask him what they should do. He tells them to pick him up and throw him into the sea. They attempt to flee for their lives. It doesn't work. And in verse 14, where we left off last time, they call on the Lord, asking that the Lord not hold them accountable for this man's blood. So we're reading verses 15 through 17, finishing out Jonah chapter 1. So they picked up Jonah, threw him into the sea, and the sea stopped its raging. Then the men feared the Lord greatly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord, and made vows. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was in the stomach of the fish three days and three nights. In verse 14, the sailors pick up Jonah and throw him at his request into the sea. Now, this would have been, for for us who have heard this story over and over again, perhaps from youth Uh, In American society today, this is a very popular story. We already know that there's more going on here. But if we could imagine, perhaps, that we were hearing this for the first time, they were in the middle of the Mediterranean Sea, back in about 750 BC, where they don't have a lot of uh, rescue and immediate response to situations like this, to pick up a man and throw him into a raging ocean with wind and waves billowing, the storm getting fiercer and more ferocious. This was a death sentence on the man. There was no expectation that Jonah would survive being thrown overboard, neither on the part of Jonah nor on the part of the sailors. Jonah expected to die, and he was ready to do that, I think we saw last time, uh, because of his concern for the lives of the sailors. Very interesting, even though he wouldn't have known them probably very well, uh, he still had a concern, basic concern, for human life and preservation. So do the sailors. They don't immediately want to do this. They don't want to throw Jonah overboard. They try everything they can not to do this. Finally, they see this as the only way to satisfy the wrath of this angry God. And they pick up Jonah, cast him into the sea, and the text says, and the sea stopped its raging. The sea is personified here as having its own life, its own energy. The sea itself stops storming when Jonah is thrown overboard. 
Now notice in verse 16, as a result of this, the sailors fear the Lord greatly. Then the men feared the Lord greatly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord, and they made vows. The wrath of God has been satisfied by the sacrifice of this one man. This man has been cast into the sea, and because of his, in their minds and for all intents and purposes and their thinking, because of his death, this God's wrath is now satisfied. It's now stopped, and it's evidenced by the calming of the sea. The reaction of the men is to fear the Lord greatly. And I want to talk for a minute about this phrase, to fear the Lord. What does it mean to, to fear the Lord? Throughout the Old Testament, we have this phrase occurring in various ways, shapes, and forms. In uh, the book of Proverbs, it's talked about as the fear of the Lord commonly. This was a, a very common motif throughout the Old Testament. What does it mean? Most translations today will translate this uh, phrase as uh, to respect the Lord or, or revere the Lord. And I think that has something to do with it, to give God the glory and the credit that he is due. The word fear itself also has something to do with it that gives us a little bit different connotation, I think, in our society today. Fear implies uh, being scared, being terrified, perhaps, an element of uh, not being able to stand before uh, this individual. Uh, to fear the Lord, then, has both perhaps a positive element in revering and respecting the Lord, and also perhaps the negative element of realizing God's greatness and power and majesty and standing in rightful awe and perhaps even being afraid of that to some degree. Consider individuals in the Old Testament who appeared before the Lord or saw something of the Lord's presence and fell to the ground or, or responded in awe and fear and terror as a result of this. The prophet Isaiah in Isaiah chapter 6 has a vision of the Lord seated on his throne in the temple. Smoke is filling up the temple. You have these angelic seraphim, angelic beings uh, with wings that are flying around the throne of God saying, holy, holy, holy. It would have been a terrifying scene for Isaiah, and that's how he responds. He actually says, woe is me, I've, I'm coming undone because I've seen the Lord. Ezekiel does essentially the same thing in Ezekiel chapter 1. He sees the glory of the Lord approaching as in a storm coming from a distance. The glory of the Lord appears before him in this amazing uh, flying chariot that all this different symbolism and, and metaphors are used. A throne of sapphire. Uh, the entire scene looks like a rainbow in the clouds on a uh, sunny day 
after there's been a little bit of rain. So uh, the authors are just attempting to put into words the majesty and glory of the Lord. And Ezekiel, as a result of this, at the end of chapter 1, falls on his face, uh, afraid to even look up. We see this over and over again as something of the fear of the Lord throughout the Old Testament. Here the men, when they fear the Lord greatly, I think there are both the elements of awe and terror and being afraid, but also respect and reverence of the Lord, and even perhaps going as far as realizing there is something unique about this God above any other so-called gods, because their reaction is they offer a sacrifice to the Lord, and they make vows to the Lord. Suddenly, in their thinking, the other gods are not so important. This is the God who uh, they need to uh, reconcile with and be immediately accountable to. And the sacrifice that they make and the vows that they take, I think, evidence the idea that in their minds, as a result of this experience, the Lord takes some primacy. So again, here, as a result of Jonah's being thrown overboard, these men experience something more about the God that Jonah serves. Jonah is able to evangelize and witness to these individuals, even in his disobedience, even when he's not necessarily attempting to reach them. God uses him to reach them. Verse 17, we see what happens to Jonah. The, the book doesn't simply end with Jonah sinking into the ocean, drowning as he goes down deeper, deeper, deeper. In verse 17, we have the Lord in his sovereignty acting once again. The Lord appointed a great fish to swallow Jonah. And Jonah was in the stomach of the fish three days and three nights. Now, I don't have the ability to speak scientifically about the, the way that this could have occurred. Was this a whale? Was this some kind of giant sea creature? Uh, how exactly did this look and what would it have been like? Oftentimes when we think about this story in a Sunday school setting, we have pictures of Jonah inside the belly of a whale and it's really big in there. There's a lot of room and some dead fish floating around for, you know, sustenance for Jonah or something like that while he's in the fish. I've seen other pictures where it's very, very tight and it looks like there might be stomach acid trying to eat away at the prophet. I tend to think it was the latter more than the former. A very uncomfortable situation, and he probably would have thought, while in the belly of this fish, oh great, I couldn't just die drowning, now I'm going to die in the stomach of a fish, slowly over an extended amount of time. But, God had other plans for the prophet, and we are told by the author in verse 17, he's going to be in the stomach of the fish three days and three nights. So a preview for us that he will be released uh, eventually. Now, I think we have a picture, beautiful picture in what happens to Jonah here of the gospel message, the good news 
about salvation through Jesus Christ. Jesus in the New Testament is offered as a sacrifice that would satisfy the wrath of God. He is a substitute for the sinner, and he bestows new life on those who would believe. Jonah's being thrown into the sea satisfies God's wrath. And there's a term for this that's used, propitiation, the satisfaction of God's wrath. In Romans 3.25, the Apostle Paul says of Jesus that God displayed him publicly as a propitiation in his blood through faith. This was to demonstrate his righteousness because in the forbearance of God, he passed over the sins previously committed. And again, in 1 John 2.2, he himself, Jesus, is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for those of the whole world. The sacrifice of Jesus satisfied the wrath of God against sinful humanity. Just as the wrath of God against Jonah was satisfied when the prophet was thrown overboard, evidenced by the calming of the sea instantaneously, so the wrath of God against sinful humanity was satisfied through the cross of Jesus Christ and is satisfied individually when a person believes in Jesus for salvation. Jonah was also a substitute. The sailors and Jonah, if they had all stayed aboard the ship, I have no doubt that they would have all perished in that storm that was sent out after Jonah. But because Jonah was thrown overboard, he died, so to speak. We know he didn't really die, but he was sacrificed in their place. They were allowed to continue to live while he met his end. 1 Peter 3.18 says, For Christ also died for sins once for all, the just for the unjust, so that he might bring us to God, having been put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the Spirit. So Jesus satisfies God's righteous wrath, takes the place of sinners as their substitute, and bestows new life on those who believe in him. Thank you for listening to the Emmaus Radio Ministry Podcast. This ministry is possible because of the generous contributions from our partners around the world. For more information about partnering with us, please visit emmaus.edu partner.